Yeah, it's not all bubble baths and manicures, is it? <laughs> it can be <laughs> not, really not my experience. It hasn't no, been. <laughs> nope. It can be. I'm going to the shithole. <laughs> that self-love, yeah. right? Intellectually, it doesn't make sense. So what self-care is going to be you scheduling time to feel worthless? Right. Well, yeah, because yep. that's how I'm going to not feel worthless is by yeah. understanding why and how I feel it so I can change it. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. My guest, Joe Ryan, has been on a lifelong journey of overcoming trauma, shame, and the demons that plague him from his childhood. Listen in as this tender-hearted man bears his soul. You'll hear what compassion, self-compassion, courage, and warm healing love sounds like. I connected with Joe by way of his podcast, It's Not You, It's Your Trauma, and I felt comfortable alignment right away. I know you will too. Join us now in the Trauma Hiders Club. Joe, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Yeah. It took a little bit of a, of a while. You took some time off. Uh, then I had some kind of, I don't even know what came up, but something came up. And I'm really happy that you're here. I've been listening to your podcast when I, when I, after I listened to a few episodes, I thought I have got to get Joe Ryan on my podcast because there is something so connected. A man who calls his podcast, it's not you, it's your trauma. I mean, that just says it all. So for a second, tell me about that. Why that name? Well, you know, my whole life, I always felt like there was something seriously wrong with me emotionally and mentally. And I internalized what had happened as my fault. Mm. So when I started really getting into the original pain work and going inside and going back to trauma experiences, I started to realize that it was what happened to me. It wasn't me. Mm. And that's how the title came about. It's not you, it's your trauma. Yeah. Yeah, really cool. Okay, we're going to dig into that more. For now, I'm going to start with a question that I've been asking of my guests lately. And that is, here you are. You're on the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. What do you want to hide the most right now? <laughs> um, wow, that's a very long list. I, I would have to say it's probably my abandonment issue. Hmm. is the thing that I protect and because that is my weak point and my biggest source of neediness. So when I show up, I try to hide that as much as possible. Hmm. Hmm. Are you open to talking about what an abandonment issue is? Yeah, um, I just there's no object permanence for me. So if I am in, you know, it's a friendship or, you know, an intimate relationship for me, when it's out of sight and that connection feels lost, I start to spiral and I feel like that person's never coming back. Mm. 
And then it's a constant self-soothing on my end because I try not to put my issues on whoever I'm involved with. So I have to learn how to self-soothe and making that connection, whether it's text, the phone call again, kind of puts me at ease. But that's the way I've kind of lived my entire life was keeping these connections at a safe distance. And if they felt too far, I go into panic and shame and worthlessness and the abandonment issue kicks in. Mm. And then I'm just, you know, I start to fall apart. So I've had to learn over the years how to not sink into that huge shame spiral that shows up. Mm. Mm. Wow. I have a couple questions. Uh, okay. I'm going to start with, are you open to sharing where that comes from? Yeah. So when, uh, you know, growing up, you just, you, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's the same from the, the source figure relationship where when I didn't have value in this person's eyes, I was emotionally abandoned and, and sometimes physically, as far as, you know, being somebody leaving the house, not coming back for hours at a young age and sitting home, very scared or, Sometimes I didn't even have to do anything wrong. If something was going on in this person's life where they got in touch with their anger or their narcissism, and then I would get blasted for something that didn't go right in their life, it ended up to be my fault. So when mm -hmm. people aren't in my presence, I have that fear of, you know, maybe it was something I said the last time we were with them and they started to kind of stew in their head about it and change how they felt about me. So I never knew there was no consistency in my life. Mm. And the only way that I could tell if I was okay with my source figure was being in their presence. Cause I could see the face expressions. I can hear the tones in their voice. And when they weren't there, I was always wondering, am I still okay with them? And I've kind of carried that throughout my entire life. Mm. Okay. Wow. Thank you. for Yeah. Thanks for sharing that question. I'm not sure that our listeners will know what a source figure is. So tell me, tell me how you define that. Uh, the, the person closest to you that you spent the most time that raised you, that was responsible for your well-being, being fed and sheltered and disciplined and supported. Mm -hmm. So, you know, basically a parent, but not everybody had had their biological parents, some was grandparents. So I kind of use the word source figure to cover all bases. Got it. Okay. And Joe, what did it take for you to open up to this is a source of disconnect, anger, rage, anxiety? What did it take for you to open up to that? Well, just tired of not feeling comfortable in, in relationships and always being afraid that I'm going to be left for no reason at all and always feeling like I've had to do it more than perfect. And if I fell below that perfect level, I just didn't feel good enough and they were going to leave mm -hmm. and dating's difficult with that. So mm -hmm. I kind of started to look at where it came from and I started to pay attention to the feelings of it. You know, it starts out as anxiety and panic and then what's below that. You know, and then I just I feel shame and worthlessness. And why do I feel that? And it was because I didn't have the consistency of being valued for who I was. It was I was valued for what I was doing for this person. So I've grown up thinking that I had to abandon myself for somebody else for them to stay with me and feel lovable. And if that connection didn't feel that feel like it was there, I immediately went to worthlessness and abandonment. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how the person on the other side received that or acknowledged that. 99.9% .9 of the time, they didn't know about it. Oh. I would just kind of suffer in silence like I did as a child. Like you couldn't go back to your source figure and explain it because then the anger became more. Oh. And so I kind of just, I hit it and I dealt with it on my own and I would have to kind of withdraw. I think the way most of people in my life had seen it was me kind of withdrawing emotionally and, and putting walls up and I wouldn't explain it and I wouldn't talk about it. I would just try to keep a little bit of limited contact until I could get back to feeling confident and have my self-worth built up a little bit more. And so was did that self-worth come from a source figure or whoever became those figures as you got older? 
is that where your worthiness came from? Or did you find that it was, you know, it was within you? It's within me. So I, I have tried, I've been living outside of my body my entire life. I'm a codependent, you know, um, people mirroring is very important so that I know my worth and value based on how you look and feel about me. What I ended up doing was I pretty much for three, probably more over four years, I retreated and I cut most of the people out of my life so that I could start to find ways to build my own self-worth. So if, you know, if people are my addiction, so to speak, I had to get rid of the addiction and like just take away alcohol. If I'm an alcoholic, I had to take away alcohol and start dealing with the feelings. I looked at this, this, the abandonment issue the same way. People are my addiction. I need to cut out people and I need to start seeing what the feelings are when I don't self-soothe, when I don't reach out, when I don't sit in with people as an addiction. Mm. Wow. That's, that is some heavy stuff there, Joe, to, to cut people out of your life with, right, with, with the abandonment issue. Mm-hmm. See, right seems seems yes. like a whole cycle of fuckery this is this is what i need to be fulfilled and how do you come to the very thing that i've been looking for my entire life is right is acknowledgement love worthiness outside of myself i know these things come from within i got to cut that thing off that i've done my entire life how did you How'd you get there? Oh, boy, not on purpose. (laughs) Um, It kind of evolved. I slowly started withdrawing. I realized that I was always so worried about people's perception of me that when I would go out on a social event or a family event, I would end up obsessing for two or three days over, you know, conversations and things that I said. And how did it how did I look? And and I couldn't get to my feelings because I was always worried about how people were perceiving me. So the thought I, I slowly started to go out socially a lot less as time went on to the point where I wasn't going out at all. And then I was only left with my own self thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I started to look at the process of how I was beating myself up at my self hate. Like I didn't have to worry about pleasing anybody being a mm-hmm. people pleaser. That's my job. I do it automatically. So if I didn't have anybody to please, I figured now I could try to learn how to please myself. Mm. And connection is the thing that I desire most because I don't know what a consistent connection feels like. And I desire that so much. So to let that go and have almost no connections in my life, it was a double edged sword. It was so painful because there's a part of me that is very lonely and there is very sad. And that's mm-hmm. why people are important to me. Right. And then I took that away and I had nothing to mood alter my lack of self-worth and my self-hate. So mm-hmm. I just sat in it for a little over two years and I just kept working on the feelings and sitting with them. And eventually dots started to get connected going back to how I had lived my life and the way I was raised. And it started to make sense intellectually as I sat with the feelings, it all came together. And then slowly I started to feel better about myself. And I found things that brought me joy without any mirroring or any applause from anybody else. And I started to build on those things and my self-worth and my identity was actually being built from within instead of that false self and playing that role in my family system that got me love and attention. Hmm. Joe, one, I'm really blown away by this process you went through. I'm really blown away by how I feel like in a way you're describing me. And I'm wondering with all of the intellectual ways that you approached you did you have any helpers or is this the system you figured out to figure you out? Well, I've, I've on and off therapy since I'm 17, more off than on. And at this moment, when all of this started to happen, I did not have anybody to go to go to. I wasn't working with anybody. I it was basically emotionally crippled and paralyzed and semi agoraphobic at that point where just to get up and make a cup of coffee was a three hour debate in my head because that felt like too much energy walking across the room. Mm -hmm. So going out and seeing people wasn't even an option at that point. So 
what ended up happening was not mood altering in almost no ways at all. I kept sitting with the feelings and it led me to events that had happened in my past that I wasn't previously aware of. When that happened, I realized that I can't think my way out of this, that I had to feel my way through it. And then everything became feeling. It, going back to the worst events, the most fearful events, the most shameful events. As an adult, I put myself in this child's position emotionally and I relived abuse and trauma as if I was there. Mm. And the more times I had went to it, the more pain that I had experienced, the more that I was able to grieve and cry and sob about it and find compassion for myself, the faster I was healing. Mm. And it got to the point where I, I didn't think as much. And I started to, so because when I get an emotional disturbance inside, I go right to my head. And it's like, think about something else. Start obsessing. Think about this. Whatever you do, do not feel what's going on in your body. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening was I would get the disturbance in my body, whether it was panic, fear, anxiety, shame, trauma, whatever. I would purposely try to find a space that was quiet and dark and lay down and let those feelings come up. Mm -hmm. And in those feelings, the answers and the healing came. Wow. Huh? What I, what I'm blown away by is for someone who spent his life similar to how I spent my life, almost leading a double life, which included not feeling feelings, the openness and the, 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 as you said, the dot connecting back to yourself is a mind blower. I don't know that I would be who I am today without a whole lot of <laughs> a shit ton of really deep trauma practitioner led therapy. Yeah. So, dude, you're like a wizard. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't feel like it at the time. I could tell you that I was just throwing darts on a dartboard blindfold. And eventually the picture became clear. This is how I I'm going to heal myself. How did you you make the decision? Because what I'm hearing is this is how I led my life. Then you got, you took yourself out of your friend group, your relationships. How did you decide, I am, I'm going to dive into me? I mean, I get that that's how you came to it, but like, how did you know that was the path for you? I didn't know. Um, so there was just a series of events that led up to it. And, you know, you, you grow up in a shame based family system. You create a false self to get love, affection and, and survive. Yeah. And I really thought that's who I truly was. And I built this life and I had a house and a wife and two kids and a very successful business. And then the business tanked, went into bankruptcy. The wife was like, I'm done. So I lost everything that I built up for with my false self over decades. I met a woman. She got hit by a car. We were about to start our life together, lost the life savings, bankruptcy, the whole thing. This is all in 18 months. Mm. So without having the house, the money, the business, the status, my false self was gone because now I was sitting in the shame that had driven me all those years to acquire this life. Mm-hmm. and. I didn't have a plan B. And I knew at my age, I wasn't going to be able to get back to that place anytime soon. And it took my entire life and all the energy to build up to it. That I just, I was in everything that I had run from inside of me my entire life. And I had nothing left. I was basically alone. Mm. And I didn't know how to build my life back up. And I was defeated because I, would look in the mirror and go, you are not what you pretended to be your entire life. You really, truly feel like a loser and a failure. And you just did all of this to take those feelings away. And that's when I started sitting with them. And it wasn't really 
none of this was conscious. There was like the domino effect of losing everything. And then going from having a full family and a full house and a business and always being busy to like basically hearing crickets half the week when your kids weren't with you, Mm -hmm. you're kind of stuck alone. And, you know, I had a lot of choices. I could have, you know, I could have went back out there and just started drinking and let my and drugging and let my life fall apart. I could have tried to re keep the false self going and create another business and scramble to get that status. Or I could have checked out and just ended it. Mm-hmm. Or I could have actually done the work that I needed to do. And in the end, you know, I had all of those thoughts in my head. And the easiest one would have been checking out. But there was a, there's always been a part of me, no matter where I've been in my life, that has driven me, driven me to not feel bad. Mm. And I was at the end of my road. There was, I lost everything. Nothing was going to make me feel good outside of myself and that I couldn't find anything to make me feel good. So I had to sit with it and sitting with it led me to uncover things that I didn't know was there and I had to deal with them. And that's Mm. how it all kind of happened. Incredible. Joe, what would you say are or were the feelings at the bottom. Can you use a few feeling words? Terror. Terror. Yeah. Terror. That I feel terror inside of me. Mm. And what I think what I really truly came to was there was, it wasn't a stable environment. There was a lot of chaos. And at the age that all of that was happening, I could not process it emotionally and teach myself how to feel safe. Mm -hmm. So I've never, ever, ever have felt safe in my body unless you poured enough bourbon and pills in me, then I felt very safe. But without mood altering, I had never felt safe. And I've been keeping away from the terror and the fear inside of me. And those are the feelings that I've really sat with and terrified as a grown man laying on his couch or in his bed, feeling these intense feelings from childhood that I taught myself by keep feeling them and going back to them, that I became stronger than them because I started to feel them less because the more I would absorb it and handle it instead of avoiding it, I taught myself that I can sit with this and I do not have to run from it anymore. I hated it. (laughs) I hated doing it. I, I still hate doing it but I have to. Mm. Mm. And today, does the feeling of terror overcome you? Not as much anymore. Certain situations, it will come up. And when it does come up, that's when I know I need to start working in this area. For the most part, I do not wake up in terror every morning. I do not live in fear all day. It comes and goes time to time, different things. And I think for the rest of my, in fact, I know for the rest of my life, it will never always go away. Mm -hmm. It is still there like it used to be. I'm just more confident and competent in myself that when that little kid inside of me is terrified, I can go in and hold that little kid's hand and say, I'm going to get us through this. And then we can go play after this is done. (laughs) Nice. Really nice. It's interesting as you're describing all of these, these modes and moods and phases that you've gone through, I'm listening and having gone through similar experiences, I'm thinking like, this dude did this all on his own and Karen, (laughs) you did this. I'm coming up with a story now that, huh, I wonder if I could have done this on my own and I couldn't have, I couldn't have. And I want to say that I see and hear your strength, and I'm also really sensitive to calling out resilience for shit that we shouldn't have to be resilient for. (laughs) Yeah, but that got me nowhere. I would sit in blame and that would just keep me the victim. It was poor me. Why do I have to go through this? Why couldn't it have been easier? I'm hoping somebody's come along and going to save me and take me out of this. And there was just the point there. There was if I didn't do it, it wasn't going to get done. And I just wanted to clear up that 
after I had hit those points of uh, memories that I didn't know were there, I did find an excellent therapist. Mm. But it was at the point where I didn't know where I wanted to go with my life and how to heal this that I actually that's see, that's me. Like I I have to be on the edge of my seat to ask for help. Like I knew at this point there was too much for me to do alone. Mm. I had been doing it for two years alone and I've gotten to the point where I got stuck and I didn't know how to move forward. Mm. And I did find somebody to help me through the the rest of the journey. So was that work with a therapist? Was that on healing the memories that you have and working through your trauma response? Yes, we kept going back to the most abusive and uh, disturbing events. Mm -hmm. And I would go back there and instead of thinking about and speaking about it, we would we would say, okay, this is where we're going to go. And then I would close my eyes and I would start to feel what would come up and I would talk about what was going on in my body and how it was reacting. And visually I saw myself in, you know, where it had happened, like the temperature in the room, like it was just very vivid. And we kept going back to it. And each time I'd gotten back to it, I was, I was, it was less painful Mm. to the point where I I don't know how many times we went back and revisited, but we walked in and I'm like, all right, here we go. By clapping my hands. I'm like, let's go back to it. I'm ready. And she goes, nope. You're not going back there anymore. And I'm uh, like, what do you mean? I just, I, it's easy now. I can do it. And she goes, exactly. She goes, you can do that all on your own. She goes, mm-hmm. go home, go relive it as much as you want. But that work is done here. We have to move on to the next one. And I was a little angry because it was like, well, I, f- I finally feel good at this. And now you're going to put me into a place where I have to go back to pain and vulnerability. I don't want to do that. But that's the process. Right. You grieve part of it. And then another layer comes and you start on that one. Yeah. Oh, that's I I love that your therapist was like, all right, like you've now unlocked another level, right? There's no use going back. Yeah. She was great at calling me out on my bullshit. She knew she knew when I was trying to sidestep. She like she really knew me after, you know, a certain amount of time. So it was great. Like I couldn't get away with anything in there, which annoyed me, but also made me happy at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. How was it? to be seen and this person who showed up for you again and again and again with the caveat that you have abandonment issues. Like, how was that to receive? Um, Just you asking that question. um, Excuse me. I'm sorry. I just got emotional. Mm. It was a first. Yeah. It was a first. The trust I knew after the first session that she wasn't going to leave. I mean, I walked into that office and I told some really deep, dark shit. And I had been the three therapists before her and they all kind of stopped and took me out of my feelings. And it was too hard and too deep and too dark. And I fired them all. Mm -hmm. And when I went into her office and I spoke for, I guess, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes and I was in this, it was almost like a trance. Like I just, I didn't even realize she was in the room and I got to the end of it and I looked up and I was like, so now what? Mm. And she's like, we're just going to keep going. And I was like, you're it. Mm. I found you. And, and that was the great thing, knowing that she wasn't going to leave though. That's how I'd felt. I was able to come in angry. I was able to be annoyed. I was able to be whatever I had felt without fear of that person leaving. It was like everything I needed as a kid to Mm -hmm. just express and be and feel and know that that person was still going to be there. And I put her through, you know, shit sessions where I got in touch with my anger. And for like six weeks, all I did was bitch, moan and complain, which I don't usually do. And, you know, I know it was hard on her. But she she allowed me to be and I got so much anger out. Mm -hmm. It was it was the perfect person at the perfect time. And honestly, eternally grateful. And if I didn't find her, it wouldn't have progressed as quickly as it did Mm -hmm. in a positive way. Really cool. Was there a specific other than talk therapy? Was there a specific modality she was using? Well, it started out as cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. and we kind of got away from that 
And it was a combination, not completely, it was a combination of that talk therapy. And it was the the shadow work, the original pain work. Like I would I would be able in her office to go back to a seven-year-old boy and basically talk from his voice. It was mm. odd, it was just bizarre and odd. So we kind of took it as it went along. I mean, I had all these questionnaires at the beginning and all these exercises, and we kind of slid away from it because mm-hmm. I went deeper than the cognitive behavioral stuff. Sure. I did incorporate and I still use it today and it's extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Really? I'm, I, I'm over here feeling the love and warmth of the relationship, the connection and how you were held yeah. by your therapist and how you showed the fuck up, right? You could have, you could have gone anywhere. You could have said, well, fuck it. Therapists after three therapists fucking suck. I got to continue this journey on my own. And you kept going on. There was a drive. It just, I, I can't explain it. I don't think I'll ever be able to understand it how I did not give up, how I did not turn a different path that I was sick and tired of feeling shitty. I was Mm. sick and tired of hating myself. Like I was done. I was at the end of my rope and it was like, nothing's going to do this except you. And believe me, I don't, I never felt strong ever. And I don't know where it came from, but I just kept plowing through it. And if it was up to me, the intellectual part of me, I would have bailed on it. I wouldn't even have gotten into it. It was the feeling part of me, the emotional part that that found some some self-love that I didn't even know that that was because I kept saying, why do I keep putting myself through bad feelings? Mm. And I realized that that was self-care. That was self-love. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all bubble baths and manicures, is it? (laughs) (laughs) It can be really my experience. It hasn't been. (laughs) Nope. It can be. I'm going to the (laughs) shithole. That's self-love, yeah. right? I'm going to keep going back to the shithole. And it's it's not intellectually. It doesn't make sense. So what self-care is going to be you scheduling time to feel worthless? Right. Well, yeah, because yep. that's how I'm going to not feel worthless is by yeah. understanding why and how I feel it so I can change it. Yeah. Yeah. And make choice from that place. Right. I'm not driven unconsciously right. anymore. Like I even now when worthlessness shows up, like I was dealing with something this morning and I'm like, all right, <laughs> you're not driving the car and I'm not making poor decisions because you need to self-soothe. We're going to sit with this. And we're going to figure out what it is. And then we're going to make an educated decision based on how it feels and why it's there. Mm. Nice. What a, yeah, what a system you've created for yourself. It's the only way I know. And I feel like I've tried everything. Hmm. Wow. Joe, what haven't you told us that you want us to know? Oh, I don't know. I guess at the top of my head, the thing I'm working on the most is uh, my fear of sleep. Hmm. I, have a, I have a hard time sleeping and I feel like I've done so much work in so many areas that my day feels really good and I'm not in panic and in fear and all of that fun stuff that it's the, the only place it's showing up for me is at night. There's just a loss of control and not being hypervigilant and aware that mm. I have trouble sleeping. And it kind of runs and dictates my life on the way I make plans and schedule things. And so that's the next for me. That's the next layer that I, I need to work on. And mm. it's been it's been there my whole life, but it was so low on the scale, you know, because it, it was getting through, learning how to get through the day first. So now I'm going to learn how to get through the night without panic. <laughs> oh, I feel that. What a place to look. I've talked about it on this show that the dark, specifically evening, late evening, is where I am my most hypervigilant. And the very same story that, wait, if I'm, if I'm really on high alert and I'm supposed to sleep, how the hell can those two things live in the same world? So I've said that since I was 10 years old, I've slept with one eye open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I will tell you, for me, what made the difference most recently was my EMDR therapy. That helped. Totally. I'm, 
I'm telling you this, that for the first time in my life, I can sleep and I can sleep past like seven o'clock in the morning. It's so fucking weird. That sounds like a dream, a miracle. Um, right. I've been looking into EMDR. I'm in Manhattan and there is not an appointment. Nobody's taking on anybody with EMDR because it's just kind of blown up and become, become so popular that I haven't been able to find anybody here. I keep looking. I'm waiting for somebody to open up. In EMDR, you can, use, you can do, you know, it is eye movement, desensitization response. You can do it through eye movement. You can also do it through these little vibrating paddles that fire both sides of your brain, just like the eye movements fire both sides of your brain. You actually can do that over telecom, whatever they call it, telehealth. Okay. Yeah. If you can find an EMDR clinician and it doesn't bother you to do the eye movement, it did bother me. You can do that. You can do that over video. All right. I'm going to look into it. Yeah. It's definitely on. It's on. It's been on my list. Okay. I've been trying to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you, it's so bizarre to me that I wake up and it's 730 in the morning. Like that has never that's never happened to me. And to me, 730 is late. And do you feel refreshed? Well, I feel no, I don't feel refreshed. And I'll, t- I'll tell you about that. I actually feel like a little bit dizzy and confused. And I see that as an okay thing because when I, and for the vast majority of my life, slept with one eye open, I did wake up refreshed because I never really got to sleep. So it wasn't like there was a big transition there. Right. I woke up like, okay, boom, I can get out of bed. And my husband actually is somebody who doesn't wake up like, you know, let's go do the shit. What a great day. And I have always done that. So it's interesting because now it's taking me a a while to wake up. And maybe that's how, in my mind, like I've thought, huh, maybe that's how normal people are. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, see, for me, when I wake up, I am more tired. The most tired time is in the mornings. I mean, it takes my brain two to three hours to come online where I could actually think and function. Mm. And and I've had this since I was a kid. And it's just, you know, I've always, I used to always work nights because I just to offset it, but I wake up feeling miserable every morning and Mm. it takes me two, three, sometimes four hours to climb out of that hole and get rid of the brain fog and, the lethargic, it's, it's a shitty way to live. Mm. Get thee to EMDR. <laughs> At least that's what, uh, you know, whatever it is. I hope that you find something because I can tell you that working through it, there is freedom and peace on the other side. Yeah, I'm close. Yeah. This feels like the last big hurdle yeah. for me is sleep. <laughs> yeah. It, right. Like I, I, I don't play video games, but for some reason, I imagine us <laughs> almost as video games, right? Like, oh, I unlock the next level. And the final level where all the, I don't know, I guess in video games, all the points are where all the people, all the dead people are. I don't know. I don't know. Right. I don't play either. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the top level, maybe there's a big treasure. And right in your game, the the highest level is unlocking sleep. Absolutely. I yeah. feel like if I could fall asleep in less than three hours and take less than three hours to wake up, my life would be so much better. I think that's probably my biggest fear is waking up and how long it's going to take me to start functioning as a human being. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I don't even know. I gotta, I've been trying. It's hard. It's really mm-hmm. hard to shut that close that one eye because I feel like I can't be unprotected. Mm -hmm. Totally. I totally get that. We're not here for tools. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm right. I'm here for, I feel you. And I can, I can just say that at least for me, this was the key, the EMDR. And it was a good 18 months of, you know, working toward 
the actual right brain, left brain firing that is the key component of EMDR took a long time to get there. And that for me was the key. My unlock, my highest level from to unlock, I'm actually in it right now, working through it. I've spent my life shutting, shoving everything down with food. And I can't even tell you what it was that I ate. It wasn't mass quantities of anything. It was just choices that this is going to make me feel good. Didn't really matter what it was. And I'm going to stuff down my feelings of shame, worthlessness, disgust, rage, disappointment, all of it. Right. And I will also attribute the EMDR to getting to that level. There is a wow. Yeah. Honest to God, like here I am really. And I've only realized it over the past, I would say two months. I didn't know that I was there. It it was like a slow water dripping on a rock evolution, right? All of a sudden it was, then you look back and you're like, oh yeah, there were changes. I just didn't notice. Right. Right. And here I am at finally at peace with food. It's so liberating. (laughs) Well, I don't know that I am close enough to it yet or practiced enough in it yet or open to acknowledging that work enough to say that I'm liberated. What I am right now is kind of like, like imagine a cat in a new house, (laughs) how they Mm -hmm. kind of like look around, huh? What is this? It's my new place. I might be comfortable here, or this might be really so new that it's threatening. So I'm that cat. Yeah. yeah, So like I'm the cat creeping around the new house. I can't tell you that I'm liberated. I know that when I get on the couch in the sun as a cat, (laughs) I will feel, oh, this is what peace and liberation feels like. This is what healthy, healthy living I don't even mean food choices, healthy mindset feels like. Yeah, it's so weird when you like peel away one of those layers and you, you discover and the light bulb goes on. And at first you, you still feel the same, but a little different. And then as a week or a month or however long goes by, it's like there's something missing. What is missing? It's like, oh, yeah, that's the fear. Yes. <laughs> you're like, wait, when did that go away? I guess I'm growing. Like you don't, I, I don't notice it until a significant amount of time passes. And I look back and I'm like, you are living the best life you've ever lived. When did that happen? It felt like yesterday you didn't want to leave the house. Isn't that incredible? It is. It really, it truly is. It really is. You know, when people say, how are you doing? I've always said, great, terrific. Mm -hmm. I'm fucking doing (laughs) terrific, right? I've been lying. I've always been lying. I mean, look, I wasn't sitting there thinking I'm I'm doing poorly all the time, but inside I had a story, even when somebody said, how are you doing? And I said, okay, I would always go back to, but don't look inside because there is a shit storm inside, right? Yeah. and, And that's it. We have to show up with the mask. Right. And when you stop showing up with the mask and you start to take that off, that's when the feelings come up. And eventually, if you work through them, when you show up and somebody says, how are you? You can honestly, truly say, you know what? Right now, I feel really good. Yeah. Like it's not it's no longer an automated response that you know that that's the answer you're going to give because that's the answer you always give. Like I actually have to pause and go, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Or yeah. I'm, I'm a little off, but you, mm-hmm. instead of being a default response, I actually check in with my body and go, how are we today? <laughs> yeah, really nice. Cool. That's, that's really cool work. So Joe, what are you most excited about in your world right now? It would have to be coaching. Mm, nice. Tell us about that. It's amazing. So we were talking about how my therapist had hold that space and wasn't going to leave. And I felt like that was such a gift and I had never experienced it that I feel like that's how I approach the coaching. Mm. 
go to your deepest, darkest places. I'm coming with you mm-hmm. and giving and holding that space so people can. And, you know, I mean, it's over Zoom. So and people have a hard time crying in front of people. They, they feel ashamed or embarrassed. But when clients start to get to that point where they trust mm-hmm. and they open up, and they allow the feelings to come up. And I can actually see them going through the grieving process in front of me. And by the end of the session, they just seem so much lighter and airier. It's it's so rewarding to be able to give what I had gotten and not have to just keep it for myself. I, I love seeing the progress. And the And one thing that's really validating by doing it for me is when people tell me their stories, And they're not exactly the same, but when they describe the feelings and they're exactly the same as my feelings, even though the the trauma or the abuse was different, we connect on this level that nobody out in the world is really connecting on. Mm. And there's, there's some kind of foundation that's built that, okay, the stuff that I've been hiding for so long and didn't want anybody to see, so many more people are carrying it and nobody's speaking about it that I feel like instead of... I'm the one-tenth of 1% on the planet. I feel like we are probably a higher percentage than people who are okay. It's just everybody's got the false self and pretending. So when when people strip themselves down and take off those layers and that false self, and I'm, I'm, mine is off and we're connecting on this real human level, there's just something really energizing and healing about it. And I absolutely love it. Yeah. Right. For you, Joe, what I really hear is that connection. The very thing that we started this show with today was talking about you and your desire for connection. And here you are and you get to say, just like me. Yeah. I mean, incredibly powerful. And in fact, that's the reason for the Trauma Hiders Club. My mission is to normalize the conversation around trauma. And that's the same thing with mine. It's we all pretend that we're okay and we're, we're suffering alone inside. And the healing is through connection, connection to self and connection to another human being that you can be real with. Connection is everything. It's just we have to find safe places to continually do it so that we start to own the things of us that we've cut off and have hated in ourselves, we can bring that back in and become more whole and we show up more real in the world. And this is a way that brings so much healing and connection and you want the ripple effect, right? So my therapist had helped me. It has benefited not only me, but my kids mm-hmm. and the people that are in my world. And when you coach and you can give that to somebody else, it's going to have a positive effect on the people that orbit them in their world. And that's the start of change. I mean, I'm a, believe me, I'm a dreamer. Me <laughs> <But> too. <laughs> that's how I look at it. Yeah. Yep. Exponential, right? Yep. That's the work we do. Uh, so, Joe, tell us who are your people, just in case they're listening. Describe, if you can, I'm not looking for niche, but like describe sort of more psychographic of who your people are. Most are trying to break away from the family system and the role they played in it. Mm. They have painted, they were painted into a box to be, these things are okay. These things are not. So I can't be the things that weren't okay, but I have an extreme desire to explore this side of me and the guilt and the shame and the betrayal they feel like when they start to live their lives because the system doesn't allow them to is most of the people that show up on my doorstep. They are tired of living a lie. They don't, a lot of them don't know they've been living a lie, just like I did, and most of us don't. And they want to start to change and be more authentic. They just don't know how to, because the pain feels so great that they've learned to internalize their the critical parent that parented them. They now parent themselves the same way. And anytime they move out of the family system, out of that box, out of that role, they are shaming and hating on themselves. So I try to make them see where the desire and the authenticity is versus the family system and the false self. Mm, Really nice. So 
I'm imagining that a listener might not have that much insight into themselves. So what I hear you saying is, if there is this gnawing something that is telling you within, I show up each day in a way that might look good to others, but feels like shit to me. And I know there's something for me to explore. Yeah, they, yeah. they're living their lives 100% for somebody else or, mm-hmm. or a family system or a, a care, somebody that cared for them where I had to abandon who I was to caretake from my parents. So I don't know who I am and I've given myself up. And later on in life, by the time I realized it, it's like, well, how do you undo, you know, decades of conditioning? Right. So there are things that I want to do. And there's a the person that I want to be that feels right to me, but it didn't feel okay from where I came from. So it's starting to show up for yourself, very small ways and practicing that until it becomes less uncomfortable. See, I really want to do something. It's very important to me and I desire it but I go into the fear and the judgment of my, within myself. And then I look at how's it, how are people going to look at this? This was never okay. So I force myself to do it. And as I'm doing it, I'm uncomfortable. I'm miserable. I'm self-hating. I'm judging. And I keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And I keep doing it until it gets more comfortable. And what I'm really doing is teaching myself that I've been doing this six, eight, 10, 12 times and nobody has punished me for it. Nobody has shamed me. Nobody has ridiculed me. And once I start to feel safe that I've owned this activity, I don't worry about how it looks to anybody else. I've actually incorporated that into the foundation of, of my authentic self. Mm, really nice. Really nice. Well, we have a, a link to Joe's website, which includes how, you know, what it looks like to work with him. Um, there's a link on the sh- in within the show notes. So are you open to new clients? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Really nice. What's been the most helpful for you as a guest in the Trauma Hiders Club? Having the freedom to speak what came out. Mm. The questions were great. They made me think about the answers. And I didn't know some of what I said today. Mm previously. And I think that's one of the greatest things about being on other people's podcasts when you get questions that you normally don't get that provoke thought. And I actually had to search for what the answer was. And now I have a better understanding of myself. Nice. Love that. I'm so glad you are here. I'm so glad you took the time to be with us. And more than that, I'm so honored to be in your presence, you who has made choices for yourself to work through when you had lots of choices, right? You Mm -hmm. made the decision to love yourself. And that, my brother, is everything. So thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate those very nice words. Thank you. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.